Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their stories and views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factor Magri, I have Mark Aspen join me to discuss his role in the methane reduction space. Mark joins me now. Hello, Mark. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Uh, nice to talk to you, Angus. Mark, please can you tell me about the work that you do? Um, well, I'm a senior advisor, greenhouse gas and environment research at Beef and Lamb New Zealand, and I'm also the uh, Pastoral Greenhouse Gas Research Consortium uh, PGGRC manager. And so my role since about 2004 has been looking after the research on behalf of sheep and beef farmers and dairy farmers and deer farmers uh, to find ways to reduce methane and nitrous oxide emissions. Mm. Um, what I do, I look after those, those investments by farmers with government to um, reduce emissions. When did the Pastoral Greenhouse Gas Research Consortium first start? Uh, we date, date back to 2003, so it's been a, it's been around a while. Um, it was a the consortium was a number of consortiums that was created by the industry and other players at that time where the Crown put up the opportunity uh, for our money to be matched. So we put up a dollar and that was matched by the Crown with another dollar. So we had two to invest mm. into challenging spaces for research and greenhouse gases was one of those. Also, other consortiums were pastoral genomics, looking at the clover and ryegrass genomes. Um, Ovita was a consortium as well. So some of those kind of really tough projects where you've got a few industry players involved, this was the opportunity. And so it started off as a consortium, change of government, change of name, became a partnership, but the deal was the same. Industry mm. driving research, owning the intellectual property, but by putting up money, putting up a, a, um got the equivalent back from the crown and so that's that's what i've looked after so it's been around a little while i understand the purpose of the work from the pastoral greenhouse gas research consortium was to decouple methane and nitrous oxide from the amount of feed eaten in livestock can you provide some background on this okay so that statement um is about saying that um we recognise that the biggest driver for methane and nitrous oxide emissions from our ruminant livestock is the amount of feed eaten. And mm. with methane, that accounts for about 85% of the emissions you can explain by the amount of feed eaten. If they eat more, they're bigger and they eat more, they will produce a, a higher level of methane than if they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Our research has been going, okay, and it's very consistent that methane, um, I'll talk to nitrous in a minute, but um, the methane is very consistent. And when you look across the different seasons of spring, summer, autumn, winter, and pasture, we all know that pasture quality moves, our grazing animal, it moves a bit, but it, the methane output doesn't. It's pretty consistently 21.9 grams of methane for every kilogram of dry matter that's eaten. And so... The decouple word was to say, can we find technologies, understandings, um, things that we could do to actually make that that 21.9 lower? And that's that's where it comes from. Nitrous 
Um, our animals all eat pasture. They get too much protein that goes out in the urine, the in and the urine, and the urine spots is the target for nitrous oxide emissions. Um, if you've got, and so it's still driven by the amount of feed eaten, and that's going, can you find lower end feeds? Certainly you can't have no protein. You've got to have some. So it, mm. it's that balance, and that's where we try and manipulate the output. Um, mm. Our ruminant animals wonderfully eat hard to eat pasture and turn them into meat, milk and fibre for for humans. Unfortunately, that digestive system generates methane and in a pasture grazing system where they deposit the urine on on the grant on pasture, uh, it creates the opportunity for nitrous oxide emissions. Mm. That's the nature of the animals we farm. Yeah. So what are some of the results from the work you have done? We know that low emitting methane sheep are entering the market and indeed the same is not far away for cattle. And I've covered that a bit. There is a vaccine being worked on. What about methane inhibitors? I gather there has been significant progress here. Can you tell me about that? Yep, yep. So the just on the genetics, we get about a 1% change per, if you just specifically select for methane, and we're rolling that out in sheep. And it's, going to, it's a major program that we've been involved in. Uh, beef and lamb have been in behind all the way through, but um, that's the kind of first. And it was a global first to find uh, that you could use genetic selection to reduce. But like all the kind of genetic traits, um, it's slow and small, but it you know accumulates. So over time, that'll make a difference. Mm. The um, the big hitting ones that uh, mitigations that have got hope. The inhibitors is one which is a feed additive or something that you add into the diet. So with every mouthful, the animals digest. You know the rumen the rumen. Um, is affected and it reduces less methane. Uh, it's it's got some pretty cha- big challenges. And the other direct one we, we're working on, and it's kind of unique to New Zealand, although I know there is a few other programs in the world starting to look at it, is the idea of a vaccine. Mm. And they both kind of work the same, if you like. Um, an inhibitor, we find the specific compounds that will actually target and stop methanogens, which are the ruminant bug that creates methane from doing their thing they need to make methane to get energy so if you stop them doing that they won't make methane and they'll be flushed out the room and turns over every 24 hours and so you know by by bringing in a feed additive you can block them and really the idea of a vaccine is just like a natural inhibitor where the antibodies um, you know we know that ruminant animals will create an antibody um, to a methanogen protein that's on the outside of those little bugs or to those whole bugs. If we can get enough of those antibodies into the rumen, which will interfere with them being able to make methane, then we would be able to vaccinate against them. And that's, we've, we've done it at, um, in the New Zealand program's done it at pure cultures, but we have not replicated it in the rumen. Uh, but not from a lack of trying. And we haven't seen any issues that would say, this can never happen yet. Mm. But, you know, nature and science is such that you might discover a reason that it'll never work as a vaccine. Mm. But okay. we haven't done that, so we're still optimistic that we can make it work. And um, we've all, as a human beings, experienced a massive rollout of vaccinations around the world to deal with a, 
a virus fact, pathogen, but like, you know, you, you'd never say never. When it yep. comes to the inhibitor, our big challenge is our animals are free grazing, natural, naturally grazing pastures. And if you're going to put an inhibitor into the rumen, you have to have it there all the time when they because methane's produced when the rumen is fermenting and digesting the feed. That's when methane comes off. It flow, it follows the amount of belching and methane that comes out of the ruminant follows feeding. So if you're going to have an inhibitor, you either have to have it in every mouthful, you've got to find it in a plant that's got some kind of inhibitory compound and based in the plant that whenever they eat it, so they mm. eat it on a base. So we've not been able to find one of those in pasture uh, or clover, although there's some some tannins and some and some brassicas do show that uh, they will reduce emissions. And so, you know, but they're an annual crop. But the inhibitor needs that compound's got to be on site, if you like, all of the time when they're making methane to stop that methane production. If you stop feeding the inhibitor, the reduction, the methane production will just replace, will just return to what it was. Um, that's So that's kind of what the, the, the challenge we've got in New Zealand is there is seaweed and there is uh, 3NOP or Bovir as DSM has marketed it, mm. uh, are compounds that are coming onto the world market for those total mixed ration kind of feeding systems where they've got ruminants sitting in a shed or a, a cattle lot, feed lot, and getting their feed brought to them, mm. um, so they um, they yeah. In that situation, you can give them a daily ad- additive, so it's in every mouthful, and it'll work every time. Um, we've got to find a compound that can last, and so our challenge is how do you do it in a grazing situation? The tricks to it is that some of these compounds don't last very long in the room, and the rumen is a very tough place for anything to exist, and you know, that's what that's what it's evolved to do, break down hard to break down things. And so substrates and different kind of active compounds may well be broken down by all of the enzymes and, and all of the organisms that sit in the room and to break stuff down. Um, so the um, challenge we've got is how do you make how do you find a compound that can stay and how do you deliver it? And so that's where we've we've looked for really potent compounds that might be delivered with a uh, interruminal capsule or a bolus which can sit in the rumen and just pay that out as the animal's feeding over a period of time. And sure. What is next? For the farmer listening or indeed anyone listening really, what is the process from here in terms of whether it be research or getting the product in the hands of farmers and how long before this product will be widely used, do you think, or available to purchase at your local co-op or, or your local uh, farm supply shop? So if we start at day naught, and that being kind of the day that we find a compound that works just on the methanogens, not on the general fermentation, so we find a compound that um, you know reduces methane, and let's let's you know it's a reasonable amount. So it's greater than twenty percent or thirty percent, greater than ten percent. We have nothing at the moment, so you probably say greater than ten is fine, but that's that's kind of material. If you start at that point in time. You've got to go through a whole bunch of testing. You're feeding an animal, a, a food animal, a compound. So you've got to do a whole lot of testing and touching and evaluating of that. And that was that's probably a five to seven year um, kind of time period from inventing the compound and knowing that it works. You've got to look at things like um, it might work for two or three days. Does it last in the room and indefinitely? If you keep feeding it over 28, 30, 60 days, in, in forever, 
does it reduce emissions? Because, um, you know, if it doesn't, if it wears off or the animal, the methanogens can find a way around it, then, then that's not going to be very suitable, the efficacy. You also really heavily on no impact on the animal's physiology or any other. You don't want them to, you don't want their production to do things. So you need to, to study them for some time under test and mm. make sure of that. You don't want to have residues. You don't want to have any, any, any. Um, you're looking for enhancements, the productivity and the things that you, you, you utilize your animals. So better milk production, those sorts of things, no residues. All of that studies, all of those studies take a long time. And you're in, as I say, we're in the food chain. So uh, it's a five to seven year um, kind of time frame that you've got to go into it. Mm. And in having got a compound up to two or three years and got a lot of confidence in it, then it's the manufacturing process and the cost of goods. And that's where you need a commercial partner who's going to actually take it to market. And so there's significant costs in those. Mm. You know, once sales starts, that's how they make their money. So, you know, that, that's just the way it works in, in an inhibitor sense. So what are the, the biggest barriers to getting the inhibitor to market, do you think, at this point? Is it more funding for research? Where does the biggest barrier sit? The biggest barrier is finding in the terms of inhibitors, getting compounds that work and work um, in a grazing situation. So you want, a, you want a compound that consistently works and finding those that, it is, that is benign. That is a critical science research question at the front to give people the confidence to continue to invest to develop it. Um, in saying that, the other barriers that sit there is having done that, then you want to make sure you haven't got a compound that causes any other downstream effects or has got any um, permutations that the consumer might not want to have a compound being fed to an animal. Those sorts of issues are ahead of us as well. But we, you know, we, we, we routinely treat, treat animals, our, our domestic you know, food, animal food sources with compounds and things for disease control and things. So those aren't necessarily big barriers. The other barrier for us, Angus, as a export nation or other challenge for us, not a barrier, it's a challenge, is codex and um, minimum residue limits. If you've got residues from the application of any mitigation, you're going to need a, a minimum residue level, and that requires international agreement. Um, you can't do that. You can't apply for that until you've registered it in your own country. So if you're going back to the time frame, if it's a five-year period from having found it, got it up, worked through all the animal testing, um, got the cost of goods down so that you can manufacture it and, and the delivery mechanism sorted, and you register it in, for use in New Zealand, then you can apply to Codex. And Codex might take three to five years. But what okay. we wouldn't want to be doing is sending in our products into markets where there isn't a codex and the residues are picked up at you know parts per billion these days. Mm. And go, what's this? It's not meant to be here. And we've already experienced some of that in the past. So mm. there is quite some time frames. And look, in the game that we're in, we're always looking to try and do all this stuff in parallel. So can we take the five years and get it all done in three if we do it all in parallel? I mean, it's... The sooner you get the market, the better. So those, but you've got to do it properly because we, yep. we, you know, we trade and we are very proud of our high quality food that we produce for the for forty five million people. Is it? Yeah. Um, so 
Yep. You, these things are sacrosanct and we're not going to put them at risk. So mm. that's the reality of it. So what would so the other side of that, I suppose, just to finish that off, is that our other countries got inhibitors and things that have already gone through that. Can they? Our challenge then is can we make them work in mm. our grazing um, systems? Because our animals, you know, as you know, graze, 85% of them graze all of the time and, yeah. you know, the others are bits and pieces. Yep. Mm. So are there any inhibitors in other markets or other farming nations? Well, Bovia is the one, 3NOP, and um, the... Asparagopsis seaweed is the other one that's kind of coming out in the world market. There are a couple of others that are kind of being talked about and have been proven, but Bovair has been uh, passed registration in Europe and it's been approved for use in Brazil, Argentina and Chile, I think. Um, and it's possibly, I'm not sure about Australia, but so it's the product that was um, owned by DSM, uh, which is a animal feeds company, large animal DSM nutritional products, or Royal DSM is how they actually call their company, um, based in the Netherlands, and so it's the first one. The other product that's coming out, and it gives about a 30% reduction in methane mm-hmm. um, when it's fed in a total mixed ration, so it's fed in every mouthful. That's how it's yep. delivered. It's fed into feedlot animals. Okay. The um, asparagopsis, the seaweed future feed in Australia has a invented and with the Australians hold the patent for the application of that seaweed uh, to reduce methane emissions. And so um, the seaweed around the world, CH4 Global here in New Zealand, um, and there are other companies around the world, Symbosia is another one, I think. But there's a number of have got licenses from CSIRO, uh, from the Australians for future feed, for the application of asparagopsis seaweed. Again, it's fed as a total mixed ration. I've not seen any results how it goes as a supplement. And so one of our questions in New Zealand is, can we use bovia, can we use seaweed as a supplement, and what's our impact? There's been a little bit of work done with bovia in New Zealand. Um, The same dose rate given twice a day, like mimicking what would happen in a dairy shed if the cows came in and got half their half their um, allocation of the inhibitor and, and then when they came in the afternoon, they got the other half. Mm. That same dose that gives them 30% when it's fed as a total mixed ration, so in every mouthful, the same dose rate gave us 5%. Okay. So, you know, it really does, it's that... Time in the room and is the issue here and how they deliver it is going to be our challenge. If you've got a compound that hangs around in the room and for seven or eight hours from being fed, then conceivably it could make quite a big impact on the amount of methane uh, if it's stopping the formation of methane over that period as the animal's eating and grazing. Would you say that New Zealand is already the most efficient farming nation in the world? And would you... Say that the work being done in this area around methane reduction, do you think in the long run will deliver the results that farmers are being asked to achieve? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think on both of those things I do. It's an, it's an interesting one. I think every country in the world probably tell you they're the most efficient. We, in 1984, got rid of subsidies and expected everybody else to follow, but nobody did. I mean, mm. we're such a low, you know, R&D investment is mainly probably the biggest part of our subsidy mm. from the Crown. Mm. The rest of it, we, we, 
you know, rightly or wrongly, we live and live and die on the on the market return, and and so in that sense, we're efficient. Mm. Um, you looked at it from a point of view of do we feed our animals the right diet at the right times? You might look at some other levels of efficiency in some markets where they've got a lot more grain and things going in. But I think you know that is the reality. We we are still very very competitive, and I think that's the other point of it around the you know it is a it is a competitive world, and we go into a lot of nations that have got a different set of um, economic drivers, and they can subsidise nations and support you know their agricultural industry where we don't because we mm. just don't have it. To do it. And maybe maybe we've probably gone far enough to say well we probably wouldn't do it anyway. Um, but mm. yeah, and I think science is an interesting thing. Um, if I reflect back when we began the PGGRC, whereas an investment as a consortium was a five year contract, uh, the scientists at the time said there's a whole lot of options you've got feeds, you've got breeding, you've got um, inhibitors, we just need to just fine tune them and you know they'll be on the market and there'll be options. And we very quickly realized that actually none of those things, when you really tested them, did work. And we had to go back to understanding the what happens in our ruminant animals in respect. And so we've had to dive into the science. We've done, we were the, the first organization, New Zealand was the first to. Um, completely sequence a rumen methanogen, a genomic sequence, and that's been now, you know, that's sort of, that costs us probably the best thick part of a million dollars over that period of time, but mm. now that's sort of $10,000 in a couple of weeks, right? So, mm. you know, we've advanced the science and we've really never focused on the rumen like we have and the, the tools. So I can't believe we won't achieve, we can't achieve it. Mm. Um but the reality is you don't sit, you know, you've got to get a real result. And yep. so if it doesn't work, don't tell someone it does work, um, you know, mm. until you know. So we've proven in the four areas of methane we worked in, we've shown that we can select for genetic selection for sheep and we think we don't see any reason why that won't work in cattle and deer. And the cattle work's been done in dairy at the moment. Um, it's been kind of tested and so that's that's underway. Um, but there's no other reason the other species won't work. Um, we've got inhibitors. We know we can find inhibitors that just target methanogens and reduce methane. Can we make them um, potent enough that we could deliver them in a capsule or uh, in a slow-release mechanism so that they could or, or last in the room? And, I mean, that's kind of the chemistry of, of them once we find them. So we can find them. So we, we think that's doable, and there are some, as we've talked about. Mm. We've looked at different pastures and they're really tricky they're pretty they're pretty plastic but we do know that brassicas brassica rape fed as a full diet to a ruminant animal will reduce methane emissions by 25 percent but mm. you don't you don't you don't farm a farm of brassicas you have a six-week crop so you know their impacts are major when they're being fed but they're not gonna they're not gonna answer our question Mm. And in the vaccine, we've seen it in pure cultures and we've seen it, but we haven't seen it in the ruminant animals. So those kind of four technologies have advanced and we're rolling out methane uh, genetics. And so, you know, I think, I don't believe we won't, we won't be able to do it, but you've got to get it right. So, yep. yeah. That's right. It's a, um, 
it's an interesting space. It's an important one that I think will be one tool in the toolbox for New Zealand farmers to meet some of those targets being asked of them. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and I really, really appreciate your time. Hey, no worries. It's been my pleasure. There is a lot of work going into this area and we really need to thank our industry bodies for their level of investment and commitment in ensuring farmers are not only getting a fair crack of the whip in terms of policy, but constantly driving science and innovation all for the better outcomes for New Zealand farmers, which in turn means better outcomes for New Zealand. We are a farming nation driven by export revenue, so let's not lose sight of that. That's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.